And welcome everyone, glad you're here with us. Um, good morning. Um, I'm gonna first off just kind of recognize why we gather because I think sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Um, we celebrate six years this week as Grace and Peace. How crazy is that? Like we made it six years, right? Yeah. That's not on me. That's all of you that have made that happen. Um, and the reason we gather and the reason we come together to study on a Sunday morning um, is because that rhythm, that pattern shapes us, it molds us, and it centers us around Jesus. And that's our mission statement. That's what we're all about. Um, and I hope that as a result of our time together, as we sit together, as we study, as we worship, um, as we read these prayers, even those reminders of like, there's things that I've left undone this week, right? There's things that I need to continue to grow in, and I'm sure you can resonate with that as well. Uh, there's this continual growth, and I hope that as a result of our time, there's healing that takes place in your life. Um, continual healing that takes place as Learning together, and I'm blown away that we made it six years. It's crazy. Um, they say that I think it's like 50% of church plants die after four years. So we made it this far, guys. Good job. <laughs> We're good. Um, Lord willing, we'll, we'll continue on. We're going to keep doing our thing. So um, love this. Love this time together. If you have a Connect card, um, the paper version of it, I would just invite you to fill that out and take some time during the service. If you have prayer requests, if you have questions, comments, whatever it is, hold on to it. And then at the very end, there's a big gray bucket back there by where Paul's standing um, where you can drop that. And there's also a digital version of that that if you're like, I don't want to write it down. I like digital. It's way better. Um, it helps me out, actually. Um, but it just streamlines everything. It just makes it easier. It ends up in my inbox rather than um, having to type something out. Um, so it's really just me being lazy. Um, but no, the Connect card, if you want to go online during the week, if there's things that you have questions, prayer requests, whatever, um, the Connect card lives beyond just the paper that you're holding today. So um, if you need to, it's on the front page of our website. You can go on there and um, just fill that thing out and connect. If you have questions about life group, which we're going to talk about in a second, food distribution, whatever, anything I talk about, Connect card's the way to do that. Um, this is uh, a ministry that we connect with uh, that does an amazing job of creating a food distribution and meeting needs within the community, and that's our buddy Oscar. Um, and you guys can see there's someone sitting in this audience here that's hiding right here. You can see him. Yeah, you see Randy. Um, he's like, don't point me out. Come on. But um, the opportunity to serve and to help out the community um, is there, and if you want to connect with that, or if you know somebody else that's, hey, I'm looking for a way to serve our community, um, they don't have to be a believer. They don't have to be a Christian. Like, you can connect them to the church through these opportunities to serve and be hands and feet in the community. So I um, invite you to do that. Life group, uh, we are on Zoom on Tuesday nights, and then uh, that's going to end the week before Thanksgiving, just as a heads up. And then there's also the Thursday, which um, that's the crew that goes and f does the food distribution, and then they have Bible study afterwards. So if you want to connect with that, I would invite you to do so. Um, reach out to any one of us as leaders to do that. Um, and then the last thing is, um, I mention this every week, but uh, offering for many of us can become kind of a routine because we are all in a digital age where we're giving online and that can be somewhat removed from church. Um, we don't pass the bucket anymore. There's a big gray bucket in the back if you are giving via check, cash, whatever. But um, what we do is we pray over it because we want to recognize God's provision and God's action within our finances, that he doesn't just work through us um, 
physically in the way that we move our body and the way that we use our mouths, but he also uses our finances to bless his community, and, um, and food distribution is part of that. Like, what we do in the community is funded by all that stuff, and so we want to pray over it. So um, let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, what you do to uh, work through us um, in spite of our, our failures, our shortcomings. Lord, you work through us, and you give us um, jobs, resources, um, all kinds of skills, abilities um, to be laid at your feet and used for your kingdom. So, Lord, um, I pray that our finances would be used in a way that uh, is a blessing to this community, that is a blessing to people's lives, that it moves the gospel forward and is centered around you, Jesus. Um, and so help us as a board, as a church, um, to steward your resources well. And we say your resources because we recognize it comes from you, God. So we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so um, we are in a series where we are working through the book of Mark. So if you have your Bible and you want to open up there, if you have your phone and you want to dig into it on your phone, on YouVersion, um, we are kind of just cruising through it. Um, and it's been, I don't know how many months it's been already, but we're only in chapter three, which is pretty rad. So um, last week we... This is kind of a, a part two of this passage that we've been looking at, um, but it's chapter three, and we're going to be in verses 20 through 34, and I'm going to put the message version on the screen because this might be a passage that you're familiar with or something you've heard that you're like, ah, I've kind of been through that before. Um, hopefully, it gives fresh eyes to it, and, um, and I'm titling this Ignore the Critics because there's a lot of critics that come into this conversation in this situation. Um, so a lot of people criticizing Jesus for what he said, what he's doing, um, and he's establishing his authority, establishing who he is um, as God in flesh and blood, right? And, um, and so this, we're just looking at like Jesus's life, how he's interacting with disciples, how he's interacting with crowds, um, how the Pharisees view him, the teachers of the law, um, and basically, so we're just calling this walk with me. This we're just walking with Jesus through the gospel of Mark and, uh, and kind of seeing what that's all about. And so um, last week before I start reading here, um, we see that the family, Jesus' family is criticizing him for uh, what he's doing, um, for what he's preaching, what he's talking about. They're like, you're kind of a little crazy. Like, you're making us look bad as a family, and so we need you just to kind of simmer it down. Like, you're at 11, I need you down like here, like at a six, okay? Um, and, and so then there's all this criticism that starts to happen, and that's what we're going to look at here today, um, because we're going to kind of overlap a couple of passages from last week to kind of pick up where we're at. So in the message version, um, I'm not going to read from mine, I'm going to read off the screen. So uh, Jesus came home, and as usual, a crowd gathered so many making demands on him that there wasn't even time to eat. His friends heard what was going on and went to rescue him by force if necessary. I like that. They're like, we need to save him from himself. He's a little crazy. They suspected he was believing his own press, all right? The religion scholars from Jerusalem, that would have been like the Pharisees, came down spreading rumors that he was working black magic. I like the way that Gene Peterson puts it, he's black magic instead of like evil satanic work, okay? Um, using devil tricks to impress them with spiritual power. Jesus confronted their slander with a story. Does it make sense to send a devil to catch a devil? Because they're calling him Satan. To use Satan to get rid of Satan. 
A constantly squabbling family disintegrates. If Satan were fighting Satan, there soon wouldn't be any Satan left. Do you think it's possible in broad daylight to enter a house of an awake, able-bodied man and walk off with his possessions unless you tie him up first? Tie him up, though, and you can clean him out. All right? So he basically is like, this is how you rob a person correctly. Um, <laughs> listen to this carefully. I'm warning you. There's nothing done or said that can't be forgiven. But if you persist in your slanders against God's Holy Spirit, you're repudiating the very one who forgives, sawing off the branch on which you are sitting, severing by your own perversity all connection with the one who forgives. He gave this warning because they were accusing him of being in league with evil. All right? And then it goes on, and this is where his family is like, what's going on? Just then, his mother and brothers showed up. Standing outside, they relayed a message that they wanted a word with him. He was surrounded by the crowd when he was given the message. Your mother and brothers and sisters are outside looking for you. Jesus responded, who do you think my mother and brothers, uh, who who do you think are my brothers and sisters? Looking around, taking in everyone seated around him, said, Right here, right in front of you, my mother and my brothers. Obedience is thicker than blood. The person who obeys God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Obeying the will of God is the defining factor of family. So, Jesus here is defending the critics. He's defending the voices that are coming at him that are accusing him of being Satan, right? It's a pretty bold statement. Um, his family doesn't quite understand, so they're like, hey, just simmer down, like, this is not, let's not get all into this whole, like, you're the son of God stuff, like, that's a little too bold, like, it's, it's causing a big disruption. Um, and so then he goes into this teaching and, um, and basically lays out why he is who he is and why Satan has no power and basically creates... Um, a decision between, like, the world's way of doing things and his way of doing things, all right? Um, question for you. Have you noticed how much lives are lived worrying about what others think? And you might initially respond, like, I don't care what people think. I do what I want. I'm unique. <laughs> I would bet, <laughs> I would bet if we sat a little bit and we had a little discussion, um, the clothes that you're wearing right now were probably as a result of what you care about and what you think others think about you, right? Um, The places we live, the jobs that we have, um, all of those things are in some ways ran through a bit of a filter in that way. Um, We worry about what others think, whether we like it or not. There's going to be an element of that. Um, We want to be loved. We want to be cared for. We want to be accepted. And so there's always going to be that element. Um, and, And I began to think through that. Why do we listen to those voices? Because there's those voices that exist around us all the time that we listen to that shouldn't carry as much weight, but often they do, right? Um, I had a, a conversation with a buddy of mine this week, and um, he, uh, he said that he had seen a friend who hadn't seen him in a couple of months, and in that conversation, they were like, oh, you must be doing really good. And he's like, what makes you think that? And he's like, well... Uh, I saw your Instagram and like you had all these, it's a guy I go spearfishing with and he's like, you had all these fish that you caught and he's like, 
So you think that like my life is good in the last couple months because my Instagram posts look really good. And the person was like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Like maybe there's more than just what I see there. And he's like, that's just a veneer, right? We all know what a veneer is, right? Like I do carpentry and a veneer is to make, I'm going to say this, no kids in the room, crappy wood look good, right? <laughs> a veneer is to like make something that is cheap, that is, isn't super valuable, like something valuable and something worth keeping, right? And, um, and I think that that's sometimes how people perceive us, right? Or how we sometimes perceive other people. So we look at them and go, we see the veneer, we see Instagram, we see the posts, we see maybe their outward life, their home, whatever it is, and we go, they must have everything together. It must be good. And then we got to ask the deeper question of like, is that really it? Like, isn't there more? Um, and, and so my buddy was just kind of blown away by that and how like people perceive us and how we begin to live our lives and, um, and that those voices that other people have a lot of times filter or feed into uh, the way that we live. That then we go, oh, I got great attention from this person because of the way that I've veneered my life or filtered my life. So I'm going to keep doing that because it seems to gain acceptance, right? Um, and those voices seem to get louder and louder, and then we listen to them more and more. Um, but what I want to point out today is that uh, there's basically a lot of voices in our lives, but there's one that we should listen to. And I hope I can convince you today that that voice should be louder than any other voice that exists. And I believe that what Jesus is trying to do is help the community, help his family, help the disciples that are listening, help the of the law that are listening, discern between Satan's voice or evil or whatever kind of voice you want um, and God's voice, right? Because he ends at the very end. I'm going to give the punchline away. He says it. He says, Whoever does the will of the Father, like whoever does God's will, those are my brothers and sisters. Those are my family. Those are the people that are committed to the kingdom of God, which we're going to get into here in a second. So what I want to do is I want to show you a little video here real quick um, of a conversation um, with John Mark Comer, who um, wrote this book that I'm going to reference a little bit in here um, that I'm working through. Uh, and, And what he does is he points out, I think, the really crucial thing that I think makes us aware of why we listening, why we listen to certain voices, and how that should just be avoided altogether. Um, and I think it comes from a healthy awareness of where we are in life. And I think this will shed light on becoming more aware of where we are in life. So check this out. I didn't realize this until recently, but um, you know, like the skull uh, imagery, the motif that's in like punk rock Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of goth culture. And um, I didn't realize like the first artists to ever use skull imagery were monks. And if you look at old monastic drawings, you'll notice something really creepy. You'll see a picture or an icon or a drawing of a monk praying at some kind of a little monastic prayer desk. And most of the time on that desk will be maybe a candle, maybe a Bible, and a skull. Hmm. And this was not like an Etsy plastic ceramic made in Taiwan skull. It's like his old roommate. This is like <laughs> Father Marcarius, yeah. who died seven years ago. Yeah. They, like literally whatever you do to decompose a body and get the skull back. And they would put that skull in their monastic cell at their prayer bench, and they would pray with it in front of them. 
not in this like morbid, you know, like you are in deep need of a really good therapist, but to keep their mortality right. before them. Life is fleeting. I am going to die. I do not want to waste my life on trivial things. Yeah. And these were people that did not have Netflix or Hulu or Instagram or Disneyland or, you know what I mean? Consumer, consumerism. This was ancient. Yeah. I do not want to waste my life. Still, I mean, I was at Mount Angel Abbey this week. And if you go to a Benedictine Abbey, often they have a cemetery there because Benedictines take a vow of stability. So you vow not just to join the order, you vow to live and die at that monastery. So the, uh, I was with Father Philip, who is the guest master. Coolest job title ever. Yeah, <laughs> guest He runs master. their hospitality. I'm like, how do I become a guest master? Yeah. He's been there 40 years. Wow. And he is very much planning on dying. Every day he walks past the graveyard where his body will decompose and wait for the resurrection of the dead. And in a lot of Benedictine traditions, they will always... Put a graveyard next. Leave yeah. the next grave open. They mm -hmm. dig it. They pre-dig it. They leave it open. And often they'll try to position it between the, like, cafeteria and the chapel or the, you know, where they live in the chapel so that every day the monks walk by the graveyard, they see the open grave, and they think, it could be me. Yeah. Not to make them masochistic, to make them joyfully present to the miracle of their life. Yeah, and that's a part of that tradition. Like Alan Jones, who writes on desert spirituality, he says that the spiritual life is lived from the vantage point of our deathbed. And, the, you know, you can visit monastic catacombs in Rome where there's a sign that hangs, that, that monks would go and reflect in front of that says, uh, where you are now, we were. Where we are now, you will be. You know, and, and it's this reflection of, of holding my mortality before myself. Mm. What would you say? I looked it up. And I was like, really? That, that's a thing? And I looked it up and I was like, wow, that is a lot of the images of a monk praying. And there's a skull always in the background. You see it right back in here? Our mortality, being reminded that we don't live forever, um, I think centers us in a way that helps us realize what is most important, right? Like, I find myself getting caught up during the week in things that I, like, when I ask myself this question, do I, is this what I want to be remembered for? Is this something that's important? Is this valuable? Is this making any difference in the world that I live in? And I think we have to constantly, like, remind ourselves that we live in this tendency to, like, get distracted and, and forget all of that, that, like, life is, it's short. It's really short. Just talk to somebody who's older in the room, and they'll say, yeah, like, there's time that I just wasted or time that I could have done amazing things with or time that changed my perspective, right? So I think one of the beautiful things that's happening right now in this cultural moment that I see is there's starting to be a shift and awakening to recognizing what's valuable. Maybe you guys have, you guys have heard the term um, the Great Recession, right? So now there's the Great Resignation. You guys heard of that? Maybe not. Okay, so a lot of people are leaving their jobs because they're recognizing the job that I'm doing right now isn't purposeful, meaningful. It's not, it's not doing anything for my soul, my life. And so there's like this great resignation. Like I think it was like some ridiculous number. I don't want to bank it up, but it was like somewhere like 250,000 people are leaving their jobs every like month, week. I don't know. I forgot what it was. Somebody look it up. But um, 
it was some ridiculous number. And then there's now this new term, which is called the great reshuffle, where it's people recognizing my job isn't everything. I'm in the wrong place. I should be doing something different, something more meaningful with my life. And I think what that is, is a desire, a recognition that life is short. Let's do something that's meaningful. And I know that that can also be very, um, I don't know, self-centered in a way, right? Um, but what I do see and what I want to like recognize that is good about our culture right now is that we are more aware of that. These last two years have made us aware that there is something that we need to live for that has meaning, that has depth, that has and So we want to center around that. And I only say this because I want us to begin to see that what Jesus presents is two options, really. That he presents kind of this life where he says, you can live for all these things, and we'll reference it in a little bit, but you're essentially on a limb sawing that thing off and you're going to fall, right? But he says there's this other option of following him, following Christ, centering life around him. Um, And so what happens here is this passage, I think, presents us as an opportunity to ask, what are we living for? What are we genuinely living for? Are we in God's kingdom or are we in what his family and what the teachers of the law at the time were saying is, He's in the kingdom of Satan. Like, he's doing devil's work, right? Like, it's crazy for, like, that culture, that time, to be so jealous, to see what's happening, right? Like, rewind back a couple of chapters, like, in everything we've read. There's been healings. There's been displays of power where he's just, like, completely transformed people's lives. And yet, they're, like, they're jealous, and they're like, yeah, that's Satan's work. Like, get rid of this guy. It's crazy, Right? But we have to discern which one is which, right? And we have to discern what we're going to live for. And really what happens here is um, you can, when we begin to like, I think, narrow this down and really ask the question, what are we living for? What are we really, like, what team are we on, essentially? Um, What are we going to be going to purpose our lives around? Um, In Christian culture for whatever, last 2,000 years, and especially in the last 100 years, um, There can be a tendency to take this fully in one direction where it becomes legalistic, um, where it's like, okay, I'm committed to Jesus, I'm completely in his kingdom, and everything else is evil, right? Um, Because that's what these guys are doing. They're calling evil, they're calling what he's doing evil, basically, um, because they're not able to discern really the truth of what's happening here. And, um, And what happens is, like, I think in the church, we've seen this, and maybe you've been part of churches where they've been super legalistic, where they've basically said, dancing is evil, right? You get down in like the Baptist church, even the Nazarene church back in the day, um, that there's all these lists of things that are considered evil, that are considered Satan's work or the devil's work, right? Um, Alcohol could be woven in there. Um, Movies at one point were considered evil, devil's work, right? Like certain music, devil's work. Um, but really that comes from labeling things without discerning, without sitting and saying, what is, is this something that God can use and something that God will um, redeem, something that God can use to draw me closer to him or to connect with people, um, instead just making blanket statements that this is evil and we're just going to throw it out. And that's what that culture was doing to Jesus at that time. They were like, this is too crazy for us to handle. Let's throw it out, right? Um, and so really it comes down to this, like kind of this choice that Jesus presents of like, what, what team are we going to be on? Like, what are we going to choose to live for and pursue most in our lives? Um, 
last night, this is interesting because as I was like rehashing through my sermon, um, Kai had to play, she plays lacrosse, and she had to play um, the first half of her game with, um, with her team. And the other team didn't have enough players. And so at one point, they were like, can you switch and play for the other team? And so, of course, as like a, a 10-year-old, she's like, really? Like, I want to play with my team and I want to win, you know? Like, it's been ingrained in her. And now she's having to play for the other team. And you could clearly see that she was just standing there, not defending, not doing anything, <laughs> like holding her lacrosse stick from the end of it, just kind of playing, you know? And I'm like, really? Like, she's, and, I, and afterwards, like, we pulled her off. We're like, what are you doing? Like, help out that team. Like, you could, and she's like, no, I don't want to help them. I'm not going to play against my team, like, and block my, the people that I'm trying to build trust with, you know? And we're like, it's just a scrimmage. And she's like, oh, okay. You know, and then understood that, like, she was just there to help them, basically. Um, but she's like, it just couldn't click in her mind that she could play for the other team. Like, it just doesn't work that way. And I thought about that, and I was like, man, that's kind of, that's kind of what Jesus is calling us to, is, like, have that mentality that, like, no, I'm, I'm for this. This is the best way. This is the team that I've been working for that I want to continue to grow with and, and make it center to everything. But I just thought that was funny, like how torn she was. She was like, I can't do that. Like, it just, that goes against everything I'm learning right now. Um, and I think that's kind of the mentality that we have to have. And what happens here is Jesus presents kingdoms. And what I want to talk about here for a second is um, the definition of kingdom that we see in Scripture can be very, um, I don't know, disconnected to our world because we're not used to the, the term kingdoms. Um, maybe if you think back in ancient times where there was a king who had a kingdom, right? Um, that's what it's kind of referring to. But when we think about it nowadays, um, God's kingdom, and here's some definitions that if you want to take a picture or whatever, I threw it in the notes on the digital um, version on the website, um, is this idea that the God's doing what he wants to do. Like that's God's kingdom. And so when, you, when he talks about the kingdom, the, it's God doing his work in his way, his desire. Um, and then there can be the kingdom of Satan, which what they're accusing him of, right? Um, and that's where Satan in action, directly or indirectly, um, is where Satan wants done is done, right? Um, and just to clarify, God has full power over Satan. It's been defeated, but he allows that to take place in the same way that he allows us to will to choose, like you're not a robot, you get to choose what you want to do every day. Your head pops off the pillow, you can do whatever you want, right? God is not standing there like forcing you to do anything. But what we do see is this, these two separate kingdoms that are at play, right? Um, these wills that are, if you want to put it that way. And then there's the kingdom of me, which if you have your phone, um, that's your kingdom. And I've described this before. If I look at your phone and I see your notes, I can go through and see the things that you're interested in. I can see the things that you're passionate about. Um, I can see what apps you have on your phone, and I can see the things that you're obviously going to spend your time either playing, you're reading, whatever it is. I can see all those things, and that would be your kingdom. That's the place where you have say over, right? So you have full say over everything that's on your phone. So if I ask some of you, let me see your phone and let me put it on the screen and just live feed that thing and just start scrolling through, would you get a little nervous? I don't know. Um, that's your kingdom. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to begin to, not just your phone, but all of life. Um, that's just an example of it. Um, it's where you have say. It's what Jesus is inviting us into. And he's saying, I want you to begin to adopt my ways 
the ways in my kingdom, that when, I, when you have a phone, you're going to use that for the kingdom, that you're going to use it to grow closer to God, not further from God, that you're going to use that as a way to connect either with other people, whatever it is. Um, and that's basically saying, I want to be part of God's kingdom and no longer my own kingdom and no longer part of Satan's kingdom. Um, and if you really want to break it down, there's infinite amount of kingdoms. There's whatever, 30 kingdoms in this room right now. We all have our own little kingdom where we have say and we do what we want. But what Jesus is inviting us into is this way that he calls us to live, right? And when he sits there in the very end, he says, who are my brothers and sisters? Those that want to be part of this. He's not disowning his family. And I know that, that passage can be weird where people are like, yeah, when you become a Christian, you've got to leave your family and be part of it. No, what he's saying is, there's this bigger, deeper connected, more beautiful, more life-giving family that exists in the kingdom of God, where he says we are all brothers and sisters, where we begin to take care of one another, where redemption begins to take place, where healing takes place, new life, and that's what he's inviting us into when he talks about kingdom, and when he begins to describe a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. He's like, you can't have that. You can't continue to live for yourself. Those things, you won't thrive. Um, and so I hope this, these definitions of kingdom start to help you understand a little bit more of the context of what he's talking about here. Um, but then really what he gets down to is that there's a battle that exists. And that's one of the things that um, John Mark Comer hits on in this book. Um, I haven't gotten all the way through it, but Live No Lies, I just want to recommend this like as a read if you want to get into it. Um, and the subtitle is Recognize and Resist the Three Enemies that Sabotage Your Peace. What happens is we think that in our kingdom, we have a way of living that is bringing us life and life to the full. And really, we've been listening to voices that say, you need this size house, this big of a bank account, this kind of car, dress a certain way. And all those voices are they're dead. It doesn't do anything. Um, they're an enemy of the peace that really Jesus wants to bring in our lives. And so the peace that Jesus wants to bring really comes from centering around his kingdom, his ways, beginning to view our own identity as a way of saying, I'm loved as is, shirt or no shirt, like car or no car, like I am loved as I am. That that is the message that Jesus brings. And he says, I want you to know that, but I also want others to know that. So I want to work through you to show that love to others. He says, listen, care, listen to this carefully. I'm warning you. There's nothing done or said that can't be forgiven. So basically, he's just, take this as a warning. Like, living in God's kingdom is the best possible way. And whatever you've done, any failures, any errors that you've uh, messed up, he says, that'll all be forgiven. It's been forgiven. It's already been done. He even says it in there. In, if you look in uh, NIV, he says, um, Satan opposes himself and is divided and he cannot stand. Um, his end has come. There's already an end to him. Like Jesus has already conquered that. But he says, but you still have a choice. You can be part of that kingdom, that destructive, damaging kingdom, or you can be part of this life-giving kingdom that brings new life to the way that you live and that will bring peace. Um, I hope that as we begin to reflect on life and where we're at and our relationships with people and our understanding of who God is in our lives, um, that we recognize that that battle exists and it's continually just there every single day. It's never going to go away like until we 
die and we're face to face with Jesus, you're always going to have that challenge of, do I do the thing that God wants me to do or do I do the thing that I want to do that is selfish, that is destructive, um, that may even seem okay, that may seem like it's not hurting anybody, it's not a big deal, but really it is. Um, It is not life to the full. Um, Essentially what he says is, don't cut the branch that you're sitting on because those destructive patterns will end um, in, a, in a very uh, destructive way. And, and many of you could probably attest to that and things that you've done throughout your life where you could say, yeah, I fell into sin, I fell into those things, and I saw how destructive it was in my life. Um, and Jesus brings this new way of living. Um, so don't saw off the branch. Um, God brings this order to life that uh, we continually begin to destroy. Um, there's a way that God intended us for, li- for us to live, and so often we get distracted by these other voices that I mentioned earlier that seem to come in louder, stronger every single day. Um, God isn't causing these consequences that exist in our lives. Um, so when he talks about sawing off that branch, what he's referencing is that if you continue in sin, if you continue in these destructive patterns, if you continue to live in this other kingdom opposite to Jesus, there will be consequences. And those are the consequences that God's like, told you not to do it, now you're going to pay. You know, it's, you've done that. And that's why he uses the reference of you sawing the branch, that you are creating those things, that if there's things in your life right now where you don't experience peace, you are creating that. Jesus isn't forcing you to do the, the addictive patterns that you have. There's nothing that he's forcing you to do that's causing that, um, I would say, the opposite of peace. <laughs> um, and, and so that's why that, that, that illustration of sawing the branch off is so clear because I think we cause the destruction in our own lives so often because we listen to those voices, those other voices that are so damaging and destructive. Um, maybe you know this. Maybe you've spent some time looking at too much news. Maybe you've spent some time scrolling Instagram for way too long. And then your mindset, your inner dialogue doesn't have peace, right? And you're consumed by the news that exists in our world. You're consumed by what everyone else has or doesn't have. And who's, what's done what, and all this other stuff, and it's not consumed with the things that truly bring peace. And I heard a testimony this week um, of this lady who said that she recently gave her life to Christ and because of her roommate said, just try praying and reading the Bible every day, just for a couple of minutes. And she said that she started experience, experiencing peace like she's never experienced because she just started reading scripture a little chunk at a time every single day and praying. And it changed her mindset that then she began to center around Jesus, centering around the kingdom of God that then she, that she was so skeptical of that then now she's going, yeah, that actually, I feel way more at peace. Like what Jesus is beginning to do in my life is bringing peace. And she's like, and now as somebody who would originally call himself an atheist, now I'm saying, I want to be part of that. Like I would say now I'm a Christian because I see the, the effects of living in the kingdom of God um, and how that begins to transform life. So, um, last week I referenced a passage in 1 John 3, 7 that talks about Satan and this whole thing, if you want to dig further into that or go back and listen to that message. Um, 
But one of the, f- the first line in that passage, um, John says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. And I think that is just so poignant to what happens to us. Don't be led astray. Like, don't get caught down that road of just like mindlessly scrolling, mindlessly feeding into the things that the voices that exist in our culture that don't bring new life. Um, I want to close with this um, and, and then an action step. Jesus invites us into this kingdom. And many of you are familiar with this because you've heard the Lord pray, Lord's Prayer probably. And, um, and here's how he teaches his disciples to pray when they ask him. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your what? Kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he's referencing is a way of living that brings peace, that brings life. And this may be a prayer that you've prayed since you were a little kid, or maybe you've heard it before, but this is core to the mission that Jesus invites us into. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That his kingdom is all about centering here and everything being centered around him and here and available, not when you die, not someday, like here and now. Like that's what he's all about. And so making the kingdom, the will of God, a priority is key to finding peace in this life and really truly centering around it. So my action step um, is the very last thing where he says there's like, who are my brothers and sisters? I think we have to ask that question of ourselves. Who are the people that we want to center a life around? And do we want to center around Jesus? And, um, and so I want to ask this question after honest reflection. I would encourage you if you want to sit for a while, um, Matt's going to play for a couple minutes. Uh, we take the last five minutes as a greeting time. And so if you want to just sit in your seat and just reflect on that question, um, feel free to do so. Um, but if you don't, like, get up and we're going to greet and we're going to have some time where you can grab some coffee, some cold brew, whatever you want. Um, but ask this question is, like, what are the voices that you're listening to during, throughout the week? Um, and I'm going to make that the question, the prompt, that if you meet somebody new, um, to ask or be willing to share. Um, I know this asks for some vulnerability, um, but usually our questions are very surface level where I'm like, hey, just meet somebody and ask them how their week's going. Um, this one I want to say is like, what's influencing your, your daily life during the week? What voices do you hear the most? And I'll just start out. Um, I think sometimes Instagram is the, the louder voice sometimes in my life, and it shouldn't be. Um, And so, yeah, let's take some time. I'm going to pray and then uh, five-minute greeting at the very end and then you can just take off whenever you're done grabbing some coffee or meeting somebody new. Um, I would just say grace and peace to you. Um, But let me pray over this and then uh, let's have some time of greeting. Lord, uh, thank you so much for your word, God, that um, continually calls us back to what it means to live life to the full. Lord, we want to experience your peace in our lives. Um, not just when we sit and stop on a Sunday morning, but we want to experience it every day and every interaction that we have throughout the week, that it's truly life-giving at our jobs, in our neighborhoods, wherever we're at, in our families, when our kids are going crazy. Lord, we want to have that peace that is so centered around your kingdom. And so um, help us to listen to your voice and help us to acknowledge the other voices that may be louder at this time. We pray this in your name. Amen. So go ahead, grab some coffee, meet somebody new. Um, If you need to sit, feel free to sit. Um, But if you're not sitting, head to the back. And uh, let's be respectful of those that want to sit and reflect a little bit.
is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness in every heart.